afternoon. Those of you who do not know the game uh, called Resistance, it is a good game that you can consider <laughs> playing. Uh, it will review your character. Uh, uh, now we are in the, this character ser series. The Daikonate, uh will be going for a retreat today, tomorrow, and Tuesday. So pray for us. We'll be playing Resistance also. That's part of the team building. Um, we are in a series, uh, at the end of this series, called the character, uh, Christian character. We have covered compassion, faithfulness, courage, self-sacrifice, commitment, and con today is the last one called conviction. This is part two. Part one started much earlier. And then next week, next two weeks, there will be two sermons uh, on healing. Healing, since that we are be starting a healing prayer service, we want to see what the Bible teaches about healing. After that, we will begin a new series, uh, by the, uh, a new series based on a book by John Vervier. It's called The Bait of Satan. Okay. Then we will cover uh, another uh, new book in the New Testament called The First Thessalonians. So there's something to look forward to. These are the series. And today I want to round up uh, by sharing with you this interesting uh, character, part, character trait that Christians should have. That is called conviction. When I talk about conviction, I'm not talking about the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your heart that you have fallen sin. No, I'm not talking about that kind of conviction. I'm talking about a different kind of convictions. I'm always intrigued by men and women of convictions. People who believe in something so strongly that they were willing to give their life, their whole life to it. They are people of courage, people of actions. They are literally people who change their world. I want to highlight... Uh, Three examples. One from Singapore, one from the past, and one from the Bible. Just to share about their life. Um, recently, the, the founding father, one of the founding fathers of Singapore, the first Prime Minister, Lee Kuan Yew, he wrote a book about one man's view about the world, about the surrounding. And he is a man. Now he's a minister, mentor, uh, Lee Kuan Yew, it's a man of convictions. I'm, I'm quite impressed. If you look at uh, episodes of the book, uh, he's already, how old is he? Almost 90, 89. And guess what? He's still taking Chinese tuitions. He's still learning Chinese at night. And to help him, because he wants to continue learning. And <clears throat> in 1989, if you, are, if, you are, if you are around, I think that was 24 years ago. I remember a particular speech that he gave at National Day Rally. Because they were addressing a, the issue of why Singaporeans are migrating to other countries. Singapore, he said, is so attractive. Why people want to migrate? And then he was talking about the people who stayed, what it means. This is, let me just share with you a quotation of what he said there. Let you feel his, this is a man of convictions. He said the early leaders who struggled against the communists. In Singapore, I think there was a communist in the 60s and the 50s. And they built up Singapore. They could have led, led a peaceful lives, But they did what they could out of an act of conviction. What's that conviction? This is my country. This is my life. This is my people. You will trample over us, over our dead bodies. We dug our toes. We built a nation. That's what's shared with compassion. I remember that particular speech. And recently also, um, two years ago, somebody asked him a question. Asked Lee Kuan Yew, say, after 57 years of politics, 
What are the most important lessons you will, you will distill for the aspiring politicians in Singapore? You know what he answered? He said, you can take this job, you take this job on like my original team did. This is for life. We put our lives at stake, taking on the communists. If you lose, they will pull our fingernails out and they will brainwash us. And we know that. They make no bones about it. That's number one. You have to have convictions to do that. And to do it not for glory, but because you feel you have to do this. That's one of the qualifications about a leader to lead these nations. And we really um, feel very thankful for this group of men and women during the beginning part of this country. They are men and women of conviction. They built this nation. They don't do it for glory. They do it for life and they are willing to take the risks. These are men of character, men of convictions. Another person, next, next slide, is this guy called William Booth. William Booth. He founded the Salvation Army. Way back in 1850s, in East London, it was a sad place because it was said that every fifth house is a gin shop where they sell the alcoholic drink gin where they even have special steps so that even the children can reach the counter to buy gin. And by five years old, many children were alcoholics. That was a terrible state. Five years old. Some even died. After seeing that particular situations of the nations, of the player, William Booth and Kat spoke to his wife, Catherine Booth. He said this, I seem to hear a voice sounding in my ears. Where can you go and find such heathen as this? Where is there so great a need for your labels? So he recognized that there is a great need here. So he organized, he started the Christian mission, which later came to known as Salvation Army. What did he do? What did they do? They reached out to the poor, they ministered to the drunkards, they ministered to the prostitutes, they ministered to the destitutes. Besides feeding them with cheap meals, they preached to them the gospel. They have street corner, street corner preaching. People will preach at the street corner. And guess what? Many people responded. They received Christ and they stopped their drinking, stopped their gambling and the gin business began to slow down. So the owners, what did they do? They got very discouraged. They employ or encourage the troublemakers to attack those mission workers who preach at the street corners and they wrecked their building. But that did not stop them. They continued on and they ministered. 18 that was how many years ago? 1850 until today. That's more than 100 years, 150 years. They have continued on this ministry. And today, Salvation Army has presence in 126 countries. They're running charity shop, operating shelters for the homeless, providing disaster relief humanitarian aid, mostly in developing countries. They sought to bring salvation to the poor, to the destitute, to the hungry, by meeting first their physical needs, then their spiritual needs. He's a man with single-minded zeal, man with conviction. This is what he said. He once said this, Wild women weep as they do now, I will fight. While little children go hungry, I will fight. While men go to prison, in and out, in and out, as they do now, I will fight. While there is a drunkard left, while there is a poor lost girl upon the streets, while there remains a dark soul without the light of God, I will fight, I will fight to the end. 
William and Catherine Booth, these are men and women of convictions. They changed their world. In the same way, you and I, when we know the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ wants us to make an impact upon the world that we lived in. And to be an influence, you and I, we need to hold on to be biblical conviction. We need to be men and women of conviction. Not just uh, wishy-washy kind of belief, but men and women of convictions. Another example would be from the Bible. A person that I really admire. That is Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul is a man of conviction. After the Lord saved him, and the Lord wanted him to be a uh, uh, to be apostle to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews. He gave his life to it. He had three missionary journey. He led three missionary, planted many churches. Most of the New Testament were letters written by Paul to encourage the church there. And then there was once in Acts chapter 20. Okay, this is the verse here, Acts chapter 20. At that time, he was going to Jerusalem, knowing that he's going to perhaps going to be captured, going to die there. So he called the leaders in Ephesus. He said, come. Come to Miletus on my way to Jerusalem. I want to speak to you. And there he poured his heart. This is what he said here. Verse 22. And now I'm bound or compelled by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I do not know what awaits me, except the Holy Spirit tells me that in city after city, that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for... T- for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. The wonderful grace. That's his mission in life. What's his mission in life? I don't care much about my own life. The most important thing is that I complete my missions. And what's the missions? The work that Jesus Christ has given to me to tell others about the good news of Jesus Christ. He poured his life to it. And later on, in 2 Corinthians, in defense about his authority as an apostle, he said this, I work harder. I was put in prison more often. I was whipped times without numbers. I faced death again and again. Five times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times they beat me with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent the whole night and day adrift at sea. I traveled to many long journeys. I faced danger from rivers, from robbers. I face danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as the Gentiles. I face dangers in cities, in deserts, on the sea. I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers, but are not. I work hard, I work long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry, thirsty, and I have gone without food. I shivered in the cold, without enough clothing to keep me warm. Why did he do all these things? Out of his convictions that God had given him the gospel, he needed to share the gospel. These are men and women of convictions. The next question we're going to ask is, what is conviction? Next slide. What is conviction? First of all, conviction is not opinion, just mere opinions. Not a personal point of view. Not a personal preference. Like some people may have opinions that, okay, women should keep long hair. Men should be short, short hair. And these are just merely opinions. It's not an opinion. And it's also not just an intellectual belief. Intellectual belief, I would define it as a fact or an idea that we give intellectual assent without necessarily requiring a change of our actions or will. Intellectual belief is stronger than opinion, but that's not conviction. So what is conviction? Conviction 
It's a firmly held belief that you will take a stand for it regardless of the consequences. Regardless of the consequences. Convictions are believed that one is certain and is acted out in life. Conviction results when our mind is convinced, our heart is inflamed, and our wills are inclined to action. For many people, they might have an intellectual belief that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, raised from the dead. Okay, that's just an intellectual. But people who have convictions about this, that He's the Son of God, raised from the dead, that person who is willing to submit his or her life to the Lordship of Christ and to tell others about Him. That's a man of convictions. Opinions and intellectual beliefs is not likely to change our life or the people around us. But genuine conviction will. We will offer our opinion, maybe defend our belief, but we will live and die for our convictions. Listen to John Harris, uh, Joshua Harris. In one of his books, he defined conviction as this. When I use the convictions, I'm talking about the heart level, settled belief before God that doesn't change with our environment. Conviction is something we believe. Not because someone is making us. Not because we have to but because we are convinced what God would have us believe. Biblical conviction arises from the study of God's Word, careful thought and search. And then, not just from the mind, but it touches our hearts and then inflame our will that we need to do something about it. These are the people who change the world. I read a quotation in preparing for this. Let's look at this. Men and women who move the world have been men and women the world could not move. Why? Because they have strong convictions. And as Christians, we need to have biblical convictions. Why? Why do we need to have biblical convictions? First of all, so that we can stand firm. We can stand firm. You and I, we are taught the basic beliefs of, about, from the Bible, about God, about the world, about ourselves. We accept these beliefs. However, day to day, when times will come, you will face the great challenge of life but where you are morally or ethically at the end of your rope. Will you make the right choice based on your beliefs? Or when there's temptation, something more exciting comes along the way, would you compromise your initial belief? Or would you hold it without waiver? You and I need to have a deeply held belief in God and His Word. So well rooted that no matter what temptation comes, what distraction what trial, what test, what storms of life come along the way, we can still stand strong, we can still stand firm. If you look at um, the Bible, I could name a few examples. I want to highlight an example of these three men here. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. They were Jews. At the time, if you know the history, if you can remember the history that I mentioned before, Israel was under attack because of disobedience. The king, Nebuchadnezzar, came down from Babylon, attacked Israel, and 586 BC, they, they captured and they destroyed the temple, and he brought some exile back to Babylon along the way there. And these are young men and women. Perhaps they are in the, they are, they are, they are, they are older youth, maybe in the 16, 17 years old. By the time when this happened, perhaps they are probably 19 or 20 years old. And they were brainwashed by their local universities, so-called, the pagan university. But despite this, they have strong, held, biblical convictions about God. 
So when they were asked to bow down before the image of gold that Nebuchadnezzar built, this is what they responded. Daniel 3. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego replied the king, O King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If you are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods and worship the image you have set. These are men and women who are whole firm. Their lives are at stake here. But they didn't waver. They told the king, no, God will rescue us. Even if God don't rescue us, I will, we will not bow down. We will not bow down. Because of their belief that there is no other God except Jehovah God. I want to share with you another example. Today's modern day example of people who help them. Uh, this is a little bit more extreme, scary, but it is real. I want to share this story both to encourage us about the Castilla family, to encourage us at the same time also to, to help us to be aware. Um, in, the, in the past, I thought that a lot of Christian martyrs, people who die for their faith, happens in the past, maybe 100 years ago. Today, maybe not many. But do you realize that as I was listening to the messages by Ravi Zechariah and I also subscribed to Open Door Ministry, 21st century have a lot of martyrs. Thousands of people die each year in the 21st century because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to give us uh, awareness so that uh, we can pray. Pray also. Stand alongside the church to pray. I want to introduce to you this uh, Castilla family. Past, they live in Colombia. Pastors in Colombia are perceived as a threat to guerrillas. Why? Because of their influence, because of their leadership among the young and the old. They always speak against the illegal activities. And then these guerrillas suspect that these Christians are, will brainwash other Christians with the Bible. And they suspect that maybe they are spies for the government. That's why they are persecuted. There was a family called uh, the Ramos family. Nelson Ramos Castillas. He received Christ in the year 2009. And after he received Christ, he, he re, at the time, he, they stayed in a town called Saravera, between uh, borders between Colombia and Venezuela. Hot area for guerrillas activities. He became a pastor and became an evangelist. Many were drawn to him because he preached the gospel. And because of his conviction that he needed to share the gospel. This is his family. This one is his wife, uh, Alicia Castillas. And then his son, Hernan. And then the two daughters there, five and two years old. Now they are older. But regularly, they will receive warning from the guerrillas. Get out of this place. Get out of this place. If not, we will kill you. Get out of this place. That's a year 2010. They receive these orders. He hold firm, their family hold firm. And then one night in 2010, uh, the guerrillas abruptly entered their home and then shot Nelson in front of his wife and children. So he died as a martyr. His wife, Alicia, on the, on the right hand, after the husband's murder, she chose to continue on what the husband had called to and to serve the people. She did consider about the safety of her children, but she realized it was very hard to uproot and she wanted to continue. And also there was another temptation, temptations to, to hate 
her enemies. But she determined to forgive. Those who knew her, ministered to her, who ministered to her, often hear that she declared forgiveness to the guerrillas and the peace that God gave to her. But the son, middle one, Hernan, vowed to revenge the father's death. So he wanted to join the Colombian army so that they can fight against the resistance or the, 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 the guerrillas. But one day, there was a ministry time for the children whose parents, one or two parents died because of, their, because of persecutions. One of the uh, children there testified about how God healed, healed, healed him and he was able to forgive. So as a result, Hernan renounced his vow of vengeance and began to his father's footsteps to deepen his uh, devotions to God and also to share the gospel. But the threat from the guerrillas did not end. Continue on. Leave this place or we will come after you again. Leave this place. And this year, January 7, one of the guerrillas stormed in their house and shot Alicia Castilla in front of the children. First the father, then the mother and left the three children alone. Now they are staying, uh, I think, with their auntie. The brother is supporting, is helping. The brother still want to, the son still want to go to universities. He have a hard time beginning. But now, because of the ministry of Open Doors, it's getting better. But the, the two sisters, they are not. They are not doing as well. We need to pray for them. We need to pray for them. But this is a testimony of a person who stood firm for their faith. One of the open doors workers said this of Alicia Castillas. She was always bearing witness about forgiveness and living in peace. Alicia was a man who was com very committed to God. And from the start, she was very worried about the threats. For the start. But the loss of both parents under such violent manner is difficult to comprehend. But the legacy left behind by Nelson and Alicia Castillas left their children is one of determined dedication and conviction of the gospel of Jesus Christ and sacrificial love for the people of Colombia. And it's happening today. And even right now I'm speaking, in Egypt, do you know that Egypt right now is under chaos? Okay? Big chaos there. Do not know what's happening. But in the midst of all this chaos, uh, the, the, the extremist religious, they're attacking the church. I heard many churches have been burned and many Christians have been persecuted right now, this moment, in the midst of all the chaos. And these are the people that we need to keep in prayer. We may not face this kind of threat. Our threat compared to them is nothing. But we will face day-to-day -day also certain temptations. The question is, do you, is your belief in God is so strong that when temptation comes, when the storm of life comes, you're still able to hold firm to it. You and I, we need to have this kind of strong biblical convictions. We are to stand firm. And secondly, why we need to have convictions? So that we have courage to act. Not just to stand, but also courage to act. We need to do something about it. I want to highlight another biblical character. His name is Nehemiah. Nehemiah. Let me just give you a little bit of background. When the book of Nehemiah was written, 140 years before that, Nehemiah, perhaps Nehemiah's great-grandfather or great-great-grandfather 
was brought as one of the exiles. Just now I mentioned about the exile from Jerusalem all the way to, uh, to Babylon. That was 140 years ago. I think through at least four to five generations, they continue to transfer, to share about their belief in Jehovah. One generation after generation, then come to the time of Nehemiah. And then 100 years before the book of Nehemiah was written, the Jews let the first return. They say, who want to come back? Who want to go back from Babylon? Go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple led by Zerubbabel. A group of them returned. That was the first return. That was 100 years before that. And then 13 years, one tree, before the book of Nehemiah, the second group of people went back to restore the land so that they all followed the law of the Lord 13 years ago. And these people, they went back. So Nehemiah, he's strong in the word of God and he want to, he's curious. He wants to know what's happening to the people of God in the land of Jerusalem where he was homeland. Take note, he's no longer staying in Jerusalem. He was way back in Iraq, in Babylon. But he's concerned about the people of God. And chapter 1, verse 3 to 4, it said there, they said to me, those who came back, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken. Its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I moaned, fasted, and prayed before the God of heaven. Why he do that? Why he do that? Because he had this conviction that God's city cannot be in ruin. It has to be protected. It has to be protected. So he gave up his comfort. He gave up his security. He offered himself when he was given a chance to lead, to, to, to ask the king for supplies and to lead people back. He went back to Jerusalem. He led the people to rebuild the wall. And within a short time, he managed to rebuild the wall to protect the whole place. And he led the people, encouraged the people with conviction. His conviction caused him to act. And he protected. And in record time, they built the wall. God's people was okay. And, it, and, it, and the land... The, 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 the Jerusalem at the time was strengthened. Was strengthened. These are people, men of courage. I want to highlight another uh, historical figure. Again, for your information and also for you to know about our rich history of men who stood up for it. His name is Martin Luther. Martin Luther. Martin Luther is one of the most not- notable theologians in Christian history. He's responsible for initiating the Protestant Reformations. At the time, before his Reformations, we were all under one Catholic uh, church, ruled by or, or led by the Pope, okay, in the whole Europe. But here come Martin Luther. He was hailed as the pioneer of defend, the pioneering depend, defender of the faith. And he shaped the Protestant Christianity, which we have until today, more than any other person. He started with a study of scriptures. He studied the word of God. And he realized that salvations, we are saved by faith alone. Not by doing any works, not by doing all the good works. It's by faith alone. And he began to teach it at the universities of Wittenberg. And later on, at the church where he ministered, the Wittenberg Castle Church. 
He began to teach it. But at the time, one thing bothered him a lot. That is the selling of indulgence. What is indulgence? Indulgence are documents at that time, started off by the popes and also some of the, the cardinals and leaders, in order, to, in order to raise money for the church as well as some of the, the, the situations. So to raise money, they sell this indulgence document. They promise people, if you buy these documents, your loved ones who have died, they are seen can be uh, forgiven more or even totally forgiven. We just have to buy this indulgence. If you buy this indulgence, they, they will torture less there, down there. They will torture less. Some even, if you pay more, more indulgence, some, their, wipe, their sins can be totally wiped out. That was the practice at the time. So there were a lot of, the lead, the, some of the monks would go around selling indulgence. He got very disgusted with that because salvation is by grace. It's not by works. So as a result of that, in October 31st, 1517, he nailed the famous 95 Theses. Theses, at the time, these are argument points about why this selling of indulgence was wrong and that salvation is by grace alone. By nailing this thesis and the church door was a defining moment of our Christian history that today we benefit from it. That was the birth of the Protestant uh, reformations that we begin to go back to the very word of God what does the Bible say but he was excommunicated when he was asked to defend this is what he said here unless I'm convinced by scripture or plain reason my conscience is captive is captive to the word of God I cannot and I will not recant, recant anything for to go against conscience be neither right nor safe. God help me. Here I stand. I can do no other. He stood firm. He stood firm. And good thing God protected him through uh, a prince, Pesprin, uh, Frederick III. And later on, he began to translate the Bible. The Bible then was only written in Latin. Translate the Bible to the local vernacular German languages. New Testament, Old Testament. So that people, common people can read the Bible. They don't have to rely on the church leader, they can read the Bible. And later on, he continued. From there, spark off all the various reformations throughout Europe that today we enjoy. People with biblical convictions, they are willing to take actions. Not just them firm, but men and women who have actions. And today, I want to highlight to you, we, we are many biblical uh, areas where we have we should have a biblical convictions about. But today I want to just highlight three. Three for you to consider because this, I feel strongly about these three. There are a few others that you can study on your own. One of them, the first one, is the power of the gospel to save lives. We need to be fully convinced about the power of the gospel to save lives. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 to 17. This is from the, the Good News uh, translations. I have complete confidence in the gospel. It is God's power to save all who believe, first the Jews and also the Gentiles. For the gospel reveals how God puts people right or make people righteous with himself. It is through faith from beginning to the end. As the scripture says, the person who is put right with God through faith shall live. The righteous shall live by faith. 
And that's the gospel that you and I have. What's the greatest need of the world, in the world today? The greatest need is forgiveness. To reconcile man, human beings, with God and human beings with each other. And the cross of Jesus Christ, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, He paid the penalty of sins. He cleansed us. He offered forgiveness so that we can be reconciled with God and with each other. The gospel contains power to save, power to transform. You have heard the gospel. Your life has been transformed. Some in a more dramatic way, some in a gradual way. But you and I need to be convinced about this gospel so that we will be excited. Not just take it casually, not take it for granted, but we are excited to share it. Not ashamed, not shy, but ready to testify it. And I hope that today you'll be reminded about this power that God has saved you, this gospel that you have heard, so that you'll be bold to talk about it. Sometimes I also fell into this temptation. Sometimes people are always shy or very shy to talk about it. But if you really believe that this power in the Word of God, that this power to save, you will not be shy about it. You will dare boldly to act, to stand firm. So this one, second one, is that God's Word is alive. God's Word is alive and God's Word is powerful. Listen to Hebrew chapter 4, verse 12 in New Living Translation. For the Word of God is alive. In other words, it's living. It is alive. It's not dead. It's not just a written word. It's not. It is living and it's powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. Cutting between soul and spirit, between joints and marrow, it exposes the, our innermost de- thoughts and desires. And in Psalms chapter 1, it talks about a blessed man. What is a blessed man? The blessed man is a man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. And he will be like a plant, plant planted by streams of water, which yield his fruit in its seasons which leaves does not wither. Whatever he does, he prospers. That's the power of God's Word. And the Bible is today the bestseller, still the bestseller. Do you know the New Testament has been translated to over 1,000 languages? The whole Bible translated to 471. The Bible claims itself to be the Word of God. The Bible accurately describes the world, describes ourselves, describes God. And when we read it, the Holy Spirit within us gives us assurance. This is the Word of God. This is true. This is right. And also, if you look at the historical evidences, it proves that it is historically reliable. And it carries with it authority. It can transform your life. And I hope that we will have this fresh appreciation about the Word of God. Now the Word of God is so easy that you can easily get it anywhere you go. Ah, you have so many apps. If you were to search the Bible apps, just search Bible. There are so many choices. Okay? So many choices. So many different versions. It's so convenient. And I hope that we will capitalize on its convenience that we read it, study it, value it, claim it, share it. Let it transform you. And you'll be excited. Uh, Again, I subscribe to Open Door, who, who sends uh, regular updates there. And it talks about how they distribute the Bible to a certain part of India, to the children there. This is Kalamandi, one of the poorest districts in India. And these are 
what the children wrote. These are primary school children wrote after they received a pictorial Bible. One of them said this, I never thought that I could uh, receive a pictorial color Bible as a gift. I could never afford the Bible and I've never seen it. My heart is full of joy holding this Bible in my hand. I will read it and pray every day. I thank God. I'm grateful to open doors for their concern for the poor children. And then one, another one wrote, I have seen this Bible before and wanted to buy this, but my parents couldn't afford. I am overjoyed to receive this Bible today. I assure you, I will read it daily and make good use of it. I'm thankful to open doors again to God for this wonderful gift. I pray and request that you organize more programs so that children like me will benefit from it. I'm praying for myself also, and I hope that today you'll pray. Just like the joy and delight of these children when they hold the pictorial Bible, with such delight, such joy, that you and I who hold a handphone, a whole physical Bible, that have the Bible, that we will have the similar kind of, of joy and delight in the Word of God. Yes, some, there are some parts that might be difficult to understand, but if you press on and to enjoy it, God's Word is living. God's Word is active. God's Word is alive. Let us be convicted about this. And third area is that this privilege given to us, you and I, we have a part to play in God's kingdom, particularly in expansion of God's kingdom. Jesus, before He left the earth, He gave this command to the disciples and also to all of us today. Here. He said this, Jesus came to them saying, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded me. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. You see here, the key command is make disciples. How to go about doing? By going, by baptizing, by teaching. And this is not, command, not just a command for leaders. This is a command for everyone. Bill Bright, Dr. Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade, he said this. Next slide. The great commissions of our Lord is the greatest plan ever given to men by the greatest person ever lived concerning the greatest power ever revealed with the greatest promise ever recorded. It's a beautiful command. God give us this challenge and invite us and invite us into this. And I hope that you have this conviction. It was, it is uh, that we need to be involved with people. Whatever ministry you are serving in, okay, in the church or in the community, I hope that there is a certain part of it certain elements where you are given the opportunity or you have opportunity to influence another individual. Because that's how we make disciples. We don't make disciples by long distance. We make disciples by having contact with people. By having contact with people. And there are many opportunities available. And I strongly encourage you, everyone, not just the young, not just the old, not just those who are tired, not just those who, who are new, not just those who are fresh. Everyone, you and I, I hope that you are convinced that you have a part to play in God's kingdom. There are many opportunities. Those of you who volunteered at the CSC Intuitions or leading some games, 
contact point with the children. That's great. Those of you involved in Boys Brigade, again, that's another contact point. Those of you involved in Ku Club, teaching the young ones, or in CG, in teaching or involved in the CG, or in the youth ministry, loud gen, or in the young adults, both the younger ones or the older ones, there is opportunity or involved in mentoring, or even in your workplace, or in your school, always look out for opportunity where you can have contact with people in the, that will give you opportunity to influence. If they contact people that don't give you opportunity to influence, then you have, you have no chance to make disciples. And there are many opportunities. We are in this church here. If you look out, the older ones, you can always look. There are many opportunities among the younger ones. The younger ones, same thing among your peers or young. They will always want you. And I hope that every generation will make effort to disciples the next generations. Whether you're playing music or usherings or doing at the background, you seek to find opportunity where you can influence another individual. That's what you and I are called to. You, have, you and I have this part to play in God's kingdom, making disciples. And always seek to minister to people. It is these three convictions that led me into the full-time ministry. That the gospel can change life. God's word is powerful. I have a part to play that I went into the full-time ministry and and I believe that this all started when I was uh, in poly then, 18, 19, 20 years old. Somebody implanted it into my heart and I studied the Word of God and I'm convicted that this is true, this is real. I need to give my life to it. And I hope that you will have various biblical convictions. There are other things that you can build the bigger conviction that God is real, God is true, God exists. That's another one. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And then there is a reality about the spiritual world. Heaven is real. That's where our destiny. And there are many others, the biblical, biblical convictions that you can have. And I hope that you will develop them as you grow. How to develop them? Simply, simply the process. First, you must desire. Desire that God, I want to build biblical convictions. Desire them. And with the desire, you look up the Word of God. Fill yourself with the Word. What does the Word of God have to say about these things? You study, you memorize, you meditate, and then the Word of God becomes your source, and then you pray about it, and finally, put it into actions. Put it into actions. Let, this, let us be men and women who will stand firm in what we believe. Let us be men and women who will take actions. Who will take actions. I invite the musicians to come forward. I'd like to give us some time. Ask the Lord, Lord, am I a person of convictions? Or am I just wishy-washy when temptation comes, when pressure comes, that I tend to give up? Do I lift up my convictions? And ask the Lord to help you to know His Word, that you will stand firm to be men and women of convictions. so that you can change your world for the Lord Jesus Christ. If you feel that your convictions about some of the things I highlighted today or other things, not as strong, ask the Lord that He will help you to go back to study the Word of God so that you are convinced in your spirit, in your heart, 
said, truly, you need to act. Let's rise. And where you are, I'd like you to just pray out. Pray out aloud. And also pray for the Castilla's family just now that I mentioned. And pray for the church in Egypt also. And pray for yourself that God will help you. At the same time, let's extend our compassion and our prayer to those people who are hurting. Come before the throne of grace and say, God, I confess it before you. Help me, Lord. Help me to be men and women of conviction who, who hold strong to what we believe and what your words say. Ask God for his courage, for his strength. Worship the Lord.
Your voice just to pray. Just now you pray for yourself. No, no, no. Right now, let us pray for our church. Pray for our church. Pray for the person on your left and the right behind you and our church. That we will be the men and women who will follow the Lord. Not be afraid to follow the Lord. Men and women that will stand firm despite the pressure, despite the temptations. We will be men and women of action. We will dare to take courage to act because we have biblical convictions about what is right. Pray for courage to arise where we are in our community, in our workplace, in our school. Courage to act. And in our church here, let's pray for each other. Let's pray right now. Lift our voices and pray for our church. Yes.
before I close in prayer, with those of us here in our midst, you need a prayer. It could be a concern in your heart. It could be a need. You need prayer. Feel free to come forward after I close in prayer and then we will pray with you. Let us pray together. Lord, I want to thank you. Thank you for men and women in your word who will stand up, Father, stand up for what they believe because they know that you are true. They know that you are real. They know that, God, we are meant for more than this. That our destination, our eternal destiny is with you. That this world is not our home. That there is a kingdom of God at play here. That we can play a part. And I want to thank you for this. Who bring the gospel, who brought the gospel from the past to today. Men and women from the west who brought the gospel here to the east. That today we can believe in you. And men and women who gave up their lives for you. And I want to thank you for that. And I pray that God, their testimony, their stories will inspire us, will encourage us to go back to the Word of God so that God, we will stand firm that whatever that God you call us to do, whenever there's temptation, whenever there's trials, that we will stand firm. Whenever, Lord, we see that things that need to be done, we can act it out, Father. We will not be fearful, fearful. And I want to just pray, pray that God, you will make us men and women of courage, men and women of faith, who will dare to believe in you, who dare to stand up for what is right and fight for it. And I want to thank you for this. And I want to also pray, pray for brothers and sisters right now in many countries, particularly today in, in Egypt, Father, who are facing their persecutions because of the political chaos. They are not just pray, pray that their faith will remain strong, Father. They will remain strong. They will not be discouraged. They will not give up their faith. I pray that your angels will surround them. You'll protect, Father, your building there. You'll protect your people. You'll protect them. And then you'll protect their faith, Father. And you help them, Father. And today also, Father, thank you for your word. And I pray that, God, as we go on our separate ways, may your blessing go with us. May your presence go with us. May your love and your courage go with us. That we will bring your presence wherever we go. And we thank you. And we praise you. In Jesus' most precious name. And all of God's people say, Amen. Amen.